So if I understand correctly, the foundation, uh, one of the early activities was the index, the yes. governance index. Can you speak about some of the issues that you faced with getting that adopted in the early days and how it's become part of the uh, fabric, if you will? That we really wanted to, 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 to talk about governance and we wanted to simplify the discussion about governance. How are we going to talk about governance? We don't want to talk poetry or to talk... We, should, you know, we can quantify it. That was the whole idea behind the index. Mm -hmm. We said, okay, governance, what's a good governance? It's about the rule of law, it's about paying attention to, to, to education, health uh, services you're providing, it's about uh, rights of women, uh, uh, you know, civil society, uh, management of public finance, about infrastructure, uh, clean water, electricity, blah, blah. Is a basket of public goods mm -hmm. which each government needs to deliver to, to, to its people. And uh, we thought all that is measured, can be measured. So why don't you measure all this in all 54 countries and publish it every year? Uh, then there is a clear picture of what's happening really on the ground. And people can talk about governance uh, in an objective uh, and measured way. Is not uh, about good speeches. You know, some of our politicians, you know, will love just, you know, deliver a nice speech or sing or dance or whatever. And uh, uh, so it's not about charming uh, uh, the people. It's about what you deliver. All right. We are back for another great episode of How to Acquire podcast. We are on season three, episode nine. And uh, we, this season, are studying Black billionaires around the globe. And on today's episode, we find ourselves studying Mo Ibram. Yes, Mo Ibram. And for those who don't know, uh, I will be uh, drinking during this episode. Uh, today, I have some water. Uh, so if you hear me sipping or if you hear me chewing, I'm simply just uh, making sure I'm uh, well-fueled for this conversation. So Mo Ibram, it says here in 2022, has a net worth of $1.2 billion. And we just heard from him on the interview that we just played leading into this episode, right? <clears throat> That's where Mo Ibram was talking about creating a governance index for Africa. And we'll get more into that in one moment. But for right now, I want to kind of do a little bit of background on who Mo Ibram is, look at his bio, and see what we can learn from Mo Ibram. It says Mo Ibram is a Sudanese British billionaire businessman. He worked for several telecommunications companies before founding Celtel. Celtel was a telecommunications company that operated in several African countries, which, when sold, had over 24 million mobile phone subscribers in 14 African countries. After selling Celtel in 2005 for $3.4 billion, he set up the Mo Ibram Foundation to encourage better governance in Africa, as well as creating the Ibram Index of African Governance to evaluate a nation's performance. <clears throat> He's also a member of the Africa Regional Advisory Board of London Business School. In 2007, he initiated the Mo Ibram Prize for Achievement in African Leadership, which awards $5 million to African heads of state who deliver security, health, education, and economic development to their constituents and uh, dramatically transfer power to their successors. According to Forbes, in 2011, Mo Ibram is worth $1.8 billion, making him one of the richest persons in the world. Mo Ibram was also selected for the Time Top 100 list in 2008, which ranked first in annual power list of influential Black Britons. All right, so we have a little bit of a bio on Mo Ibram. His full name is Mohammed uh, Ibram. Hopefully I am pronouncing that correctly. And I think this leads into a really great conversation 
we talked about in the past about telecommunications, right? So that's where he built his wealth at. I really want to kind of focus on what did he do after he built his wealth? He's talking about focusing on better governance in Africa. Well, the video we just played discussed that. And so I want to dive more into that. What exactly does that mean? Africa now is the last frontier. If you really want to make money, you have to head there. But the investment is going to just a few countries, and it's mainly still in oil and mining industries. Uh, What about the other countries, the poorer and more problematic countries? Take Mali, for example, which is now undergoing a revolution. What will happen there? People forget Africa is 54 countries. And at any moment of time, there are problems in three or four countries. Somehow, because the news media, as usual, focus on crisis or problems, because that's news, uh, it creates a perception for the casual listener uh, that Africa is a, is a problem area. You have a major problem in Greece, uh, potential problem in Spain. You had civil war in Yugoslavia, ex-Yugoslavia. Does that brand Europe as a basket case? But we really have to, uh, to, to, to be reasonable and sensible in analyzing uh, the situation in Africa. One bomb goes in Kenya seven or eight years ago in a hotel. Immediately, U.S. government declared Kenya unsafe, advised people not to travel to Kenya. Same time, a bomb goes in London, more than one actually, more people are killed. Nobody says don't travel to London, it's not safe. Big incident in, in, in the train station in Spain. More people killed there. Nobody said Spain is not safe. Somehow for Africa, whatever incident happened, immediately knee-jerk reaction, it's not safe, let's not do it. We forget that Africa is huge. Like any other place, it's just a normal place, like any other, other place. We have some problems, but we have a lot of strength as well. All right. So another great uh, conversation with Mo Ibram. So here's what I want to do. I want to look up what governance means and how does that relate to our journey on how to acquire podcasts. Governance, the action or manner of governing. Okay. Well, okay. We're going to have to dive a little bit deeper than that. We need more information. Uh, Let's look at corporate governance. We actually did an episode on that first season. So this isn't new to our listeners. Corporate governance is a system by which companies are directed and controlled. Board of directors are responsible for the governance of their companies. The shareholder's role in governance is to appoint their directors and auditors and to satisfy themselves that an appropriate governance structure is in place. What are the five principles of governance? Oh, here we go. Let's look at this. Accountability, transparency, fairness, and responsibility. Is that that's only four? Where's the fifth one? Corporate governance entails areas of environmental awareness, ethical behavior, corporate strategy, compensation, and risk management. The basic principles of corporate governance are accountability, transparency, fairness, and responsibility. Okay. So let's look up Mo Ibram. Governance index. Perfect. They knew exactly what I wanted. Let's look at the actual governance, uh, African governor governance index, and let's see what is he talking about? What is he measuring? What is he looking at? Oh, here we are. Overall governance. Uh, we're on the, uh, for those watching on Spotify, we're on the Mo Ibram Foundation website. We just went over here and we're looking at the website. And the first thing it says is Ibram index of African governance. So he's now, now that he's built his fortune, he's built his wealth, he's decided to have the Mo Ibram Foundation, which we've talked about several times about the benefits of a foundation or possible benefits, right? And through his foundation, his focus is on African governance. And through this website, I'm hoping that we'll be able to learn how this can apply to us as we acquire in our respective fields. 
All right. So look at overall governance, security, and rule of law. The participation rights and inclusion, the foundations for economic opportunity, and human development. As citizens are the recipients of public leadership and governance, the assessment of governance performance needs to be rooted on results for citizens and cannot rely on official and expert assessment data alone. Since the IIAG's inception, MIF has been working with and supporting Afrobarometer, the leading pan-African research institution conducting public added to surveys on the continent. So let's look that up. Afrobarometer, let the people have a say. Pan-African Nonpartisan Research Network conducting public attitude surveys. Okay, so let's look up Afrobarometer is a nonprofit company limited by guarantee with headquarters in Ghana. It's a pan-African nonpartisan survey research network that conducts public attitude surveys on democracy, governance, the economy, and society. We are the world's leading source of high-quality data on what Africans are thinking. Okay, so they've partnered up with the Mo Ibram Foundation. Interesting. Public perception. We're back on the Ibram Index of African Governance. Public perception of overall governance. Public perception of security and rule of law. Okay, so they're just using the same categories. So is there a way to actually see... Leadership Prize, Governance Weekend, Leadership Fellowships, About Us, The Board, The Partners, Our Research. Okay, let's look at their research. The road to, what does it say? Six months ahead of COP27 and after COP15 on decertification, the Ibram Forum aims to inform and articulate Africa's position in the global debate around climate change. The form is supported by a fact and figures document providing the latest data. Oh, here it is. So here's, a, this is really cool. So the foundation whole objective is to look at the governance of Africa. And then when you go on the website, you'll be able to find reports and studies that they are having on the entire continent of Africa. Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Right? It matters because on this episode, it says Africa is the next frontier for investors. And this was nine years ago. Let's speed up this interview and just see what else he's talking about. And then we'll go back to the data. Governments in Africa, which is dealing wonderfully well. And yes, there are a few cases which are problematic, but it's not worse than Ukraine, for example. You guys playing football in Ukraine? Where would you be putting your money in Africa right now? Right now, uh, we have a fund, Satya. We, at the moment, we invested in healthcare. Uh, we invested in retail. Uh, we invested in uh, energy. Uh, what, one, two other uh, investments. We, we are open to investment. Where, uh, where and which about? countries would you be focusing on particularly? Uh, really, many African countries are really doing quite well. I mean, you look at... Nigeria, the economy is really booming. Uh, it's really moving forward. Ghana is doing well. Mozambique is doing wonderful. Uh, Kenya is moving forward. Uh, Tanzania. Tanzania is also... Uh, mo- a lot of African countries really are, are really moving forward. We have four or five trouble spots in Africa. People waiting on that. We have some problems in North Africa because of the... Uh, Arab Spring uh, and the political instability. So maybe investors are a little bit hesitant about three or four countries in the north. Uh, but it will sort itself out. One of your all right. So I really like this because he's actually able to use this data to uh, make investment decisions. The road to COP twenty seven, making Africa's case in the climate debate. <clears throat> Facts and figures. Now, I'm not here to go through the whole report about climate debates. I just want you to see that you can access this for free. You could download it. I didn't pay for any of this. 
here's something. Remember, we talked about in the earlier uh, episodes, billionaires leave breadcrumbs. So if you wanted to know about climate change, if you wanted to know about investing in Africa around situations that could be impacted by climate change, look at this. Africa's unique combination of cultivative levels of vulnerability, poverty, food, insecurity. So if you were in this particular area of business, mobility, right? These are all areas. African cities and informal settlements are particularly exposed. Food insecurity, livelihood are put at risk. 10 most climate vulnerable countries at the global level are all African. So he's telling you, well, not just him, but the Mo Ibram Foundation is telling you, hey, we have a whole report here. You can look at all the facts and figures of climate change and how it's impacting our countries. Weather stations, world countries, weather stations, 2019. Ten worst performers globally and ND gain vulnerability to climate change. Niger, Somalia, Guinea, Chad, Sudan. 20% of Africa's population currently live in one of the 10 most climate vulnerable countries at a global level. So if there's anything that you have a business in that could help this, this is where you should be paying attention. Hopefully that makes sense. I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to go through this whole report like, you know, I might do for something else. But my point is, this foundation is putting this all together for you. Let's go back. So they put together that report. What else do they have down here? Oh, the elephant in the room, access to energy for all. Africa's assets are key for a global low carbon future. So this, the Ibram Foundation is really, oh, here we go. As the least industrialized continent, Africa has contributed the least to the global climate crisis, yet it is suffering the most from its consequences. Join the debate. Let's see where this takes us. Welcome to the MIF Live. Okay, they have forums and sessions. Africa's assets are clear global sustainable future. Watch now. Well, look at there. On demand. Free. There's a whole forum on Africa's assets. Our key to global sustainable future. Let's let's click forward here. Uh, let, let's get some volume. Oh, here we go. Capacity. African countries cannot face this overlapping crisis, climate, food, pandemic, alone. Just building climate resilience will cost trillions of dollars over the next decade. So official and private partners have a key role to play in providing financial and also technical support to Africa. Well, fast forward a little bit. Africa's best contribution to the climate question is localizing industry in Africa. Why? We know that the transition is going to require a lot more minerals and metals Mm -hmm. that will come from Africa. The World Bank tells us that we're going to need 500% more minerals and metals for the energy transition. All the research indicates that we need five to six times more minerals and metals in an EV car than in an internal combustion engine car. We need nine to 11 times more minerals and metals for a wind turbine than a gas turbine. So we, as Africans, must understand that we should not export raw materials anymore. The example made on bauxite is very true, but it's the same for everything else. Same for cocoa, same for cotton, same for everything. Right. I mean, let's take an example. Um, we were talking with Vera the last time at our AFC stakeholder event, AGM, and she pointed out that 
the market for electric vehicles is $7 trillion, while the market for cobalt, which is an input mm-hmm. to electric vehicles, is about $19, $20 billion. You see the difference? Yeah. Well, for, we'll fast forward just a little bit more and see what's being said at the end of this, this video. And the technology that is available and the financial solutions that are there. Now the argument for 50-50 um, finance, 50% for adaptation and 50% for mitigation. I'm saying no, even do better than that. IFIs are claiming that, and I worked in one for many years, and then I'm, I'm serving in another, that they are demand-based. Demand if they are demand-based, ask your governments to uh, ask for more adaptation projects, not to ask for the projects that are considered as low-hanging fruit for mitigation, and get the private sector to participate either in play vanilla finance or in private equity finance or through PPP to deal with the mitigation um, uh, challenge. Um, on, and that could help in dealing with your two questions. The other thing about infrastructure, you are absolutely right. The new infrastructure to be built, it has to be more resilient in a more expensive world as well, even if you don't like to make it resilient. If you want to make it as bad as it used to be, it would cost more today. So the only thing here is to do is to rely again on PPP. I don't know why countries still borrow to build roads or to build uh, airports or seaports while there are opportunities through public-private partnerships that we need to articulate the legal framework and the contraction arrangements on these uh, PPP uh, um, uh, frameworks. So think about this. Mo Mohammed Ibram builds a company that he can sell for over $3.6 billion in the telecommunications industry. He then uses his wealth and starts his own foundation about African governance for all 52 countries. I believe I have the number right. For all the countries in Africa. When you go to the foundation's website, you're able to access videos and reports and studies that can help you better understand what's happening in Africa if you ever wanted to invest in it. If you wanted to find who the key players are, it's all here. Let's look at another video. So here it says, watch previous events. So we just looked at Africa's assets are key for global sustainable future. It seems like if you wanted a sustainable future, that's the video that I just played that you want to listen to. Join Mo Ibram for a frank and engaging conversation with Matthew Saul, president of Senegal and current chair of African Union. The elephant in the room, what is an acceptable trade-off between development and climate goals? So let's look at Africa priorities video. What are their priorities? Not what our priorities are. Let's look at what Africa's priorities are. So then we can align with their priorities. Let's see what they're saying. Uh, Amina uh, Mohammed, uh, can we have that, please? A, a very useful uh, uh, and, and, and heart, heartwarming, uh, as usual. Amina, it's wonderful. Uh, I forgot to mention that we also had a wonderful conversation with uh, President Macky Sall, the chair of the African Union, uh, which was robust and uh, uh, quite useful over wide ranges. And uh, our intention that the summaries, the report, will hand it off to him as chair of the African Union to present it to all the African We need to have uh, uh, really a unified, loud voice, comprehensive, articulated in, in, in the conference in Egypt. And that is really uh, important because, uh, frankly, nobody is listening to us. Our voice is really marginalized. This our chance uh, in, in, in what uh, uh, we're having a separate meeting was... Uh, Gottrich, the United Nations Secretary General, what he called Africa's conference. All right, so let's fast forward just a little bit more. We'll go to the middle of the video, and then we'll go to the end. One, you know, 
They, we want the best of clean energy. We want, and it was, it was, it was very interesting. Um, and then I went to my elders' meeting in South Africa, and we talked about, um, you know, about a very fractured world, a very, uh, you know, and about, you know, the, the, we, we issued a statement, as you said, Mo, on Ukraine. Um, but we also talked about this very positive Africa, um, because we were born in Africa with Madiba 15 years ago, the, um, the Mo Ibrahim Foundation. And I was following online um, some of the, especially your discussion with the now new, the chair of the African Union, Marisal, Marisal and um, you know um, uh, that conversation, and also um, a, a few of the panels. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't yeah. follow all. And then being here today and listening, um, I like everything that I'm hearing. Um, I particularly like the fact that good questions are being asked by young Africans. I have the huge belief that young Africans are going to change the continent far quicker than anybody thinks, because you know, and um, the, the, the mindset is much, much more positive. Yes, there is acute vulnerability and injustice, and I could talk about that forever, as you know, Mo, um, but there, much more importantly, Africa's part of the solution and knows it, and, and has to know it more. So I leave it there, but I, I'm, I'm, you know. All right, let's go to the end and just see what they're saying at the end of the video. Because she's the one who connected us and we found yes. this. Uh, Many thanks to Professor Abla. And it's a pleasure, Mo. And please make sure that the report out of those wonderful two days to be sent to my office because we are in the need of such messages and such results to be at the heart when preparing for COP27. What I really enjoy about these videos is these people are here in service of their continent and their individual countries. I'm assuming most of these people are living in Africa or investing in Africa or have some type of ties to Africa. I do not know these people. I can only assume that, and I could be wrong. But based off of what I'm seeing here is you have these people who are at service to the overall mission of making Africa or countries in Africa the best version of itself. They're at servitude. They're at service to their countries. It's not about their egos. It's not about look at, you know, look at what I did. Look at all the followers I have. This is about at service to a a mission bigger than themselves. And what I like about this Mo Ibram Foundation And I think this is the first time on one of our episodes where I'm strictly looking at a foundation. Usually we're looking at the industries and how they got their money. After you get the money, what do you do? Because I already know that how to acquire listeners are going to get the money. They're going to be successful. Anybody I've ever worked with, I knew they were going to be successful. That's why I never really understood why people would become successful and then start dangling things in the air and pretend to be uh, bigger than what they are and say, look how successful we are. Well, we already knew you would be successful. That's why we worked with you. Nobody's upset that you're successful. Right? (laughs) Be successful. Be great. Be the best versions of yourself. The reason why I bring all this up is as we're looking at what do you do once you have the money? That tells a lot about a person. A foundation is a really great way to do something more. Now, not everybody with a foundation has a great heart. I'm not saying that. But you can tell. If you sit there long enough, you'll be able to tell. All right. So we're still on the Mo Ibram Foundation. Uh, We were on the About Us section. I'm sorry. We're actually on the research section. Let's look at the media center look at their events 2019 governance weekend 2018 2015 so they've been doing this for quite some time the first uh video is from 2014 so what we're looking at eight years let's look at what was going on in 2019 Do they have any videos? View the weekend playlist on YouTube. Oh, okay. Let's see what's going on on YouTube. 
Just one moment while we pull that up. This is from. This subject to raises. This is from 2019, by the way. So a little fast forward a little bit and see what he's what Mo's talking about. Uh, by 2100 will be the double the number of the whole population of Europe. Uh, so employment is a major issue uh, in Africa. Uh, related to that, of course, is the subject of investment and job creation, but also training and education. I don't believe that the education in Africa uh, matches really uh, the uh, job requirements. It's a really need for uh, a system of education which prepare young people for the job market. All right, so I want to go back to the website. I want to see what they're saying is the definition of governance. The Mo Ibram Foundation, MIF, is an African foundation established in 2006. So even further back than 2000, what did I say earlier, 14? With one focus, the critical importance of governance and leadership in Africa. It is our conviction that governance and leadership lie at the heart of any tangible and shared improvement in the quality of life of African citizens. The foundation is a non-grant-making and non-fundraising organization. It focuses on defining, assessing, and enhancing governance and leadership in Africa through four main initiatives. The Ibram Index of African Governance, we looked at that. The Ibram Prize for Achievement in African Leadership. Ibram's Governance Weekends and Ibram Leadership Fellowships. Let's look at the fellowships. The Ibram Fellowship, Leadership Fellowships were established in 2011 to identify and mentor the future generation of outstanding African leaders with a stipend of $1,000. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's U.S. dollars, but that would be $1,000 in their money. During their 12-month program, fellows gained both technical and leadership skills while contributing directly to research and policy design. This is how you give back. Let's look at the application process. Uh, eligibility, national of African country, minimum seven years of relevant work experience, a master's degree, under the age of 40 or 45 for women with children, any additional criteria as set by the host. So you would have to be from the uh, African country, have seven years of work experience, have a master's degree, and you can apply to be, and of course, under 40 or 45, you could apply to have a leadership fellowship. Isn't that awesome? I never understood when you're having a conversation with people about giving back and mentoring, why they turn that down and say they're too busy. It tells me a lot about your character when you're too busy to help people who are trying to get to where you are. I never understood. I never, I will never understand that. But everybody has their own way of viewing the world, right? So let's look at the governance weekend. What is that exactly? The governance forum brings together leading voices from across Africa and beyond to discuss issues of critical importance. Six months ahead of COP27, hosted in Africa this November, the 2022 Ibram Forum discussions supported by facts and figures document focused on Africa's climate-related challenges. Okay, so we saw a little bit of that earlier. Oh, here we go. Here's another video. They have a lot of great guys, by the way, for my voice, because I've just recovered from COVID. So it's taken quite a toll on my voice. Stand up, introduce yourself. Thank you so much, uh, distinguished panelists. Thank you, uh, Mo. Um, I come from Africa. I come from Botswana. The topic here today is let us focus on Africa. Natasha's statement that four out of ten countries, people show that they don't understand what is climate change. I want to differ. Africans have always found a way for adapting to climate change. We have relied on indigenous knowledge. We know how we used to be harvesting water for the next season, for the next drought. I think this is the right time to define climate change in the African standards. And let's leave out the definition from the international community. 
Africans have always experienced these droughts, as far as I remember. It's just that now this is becoming worse. The other point that I want to make, which I think it will be controversial, we are talking about policy. My sister here was saying climate change is a human right issue. Yes, it's a human right issue. I stand here to say, as African countries, it's high time we take blame or we, we charge those who are responsible for emitting emissions. They be charged for human rights abuse because we see people suffering because of climate change, and this is a human rights issue. If we can take people to the high court in, in, in The Hague for trampling on human rights issues, why can't we take the developed countries uh, to task for emitting the emissions and not look at COP26? A very powerful thing that this platform is doing, not, not necessarily how to acquire, I'm talking about Ebram Foundation, how to acquire as well. They're giving a voice to the voiceless for the people who maybe never have been heard before on governance and leadership in Africa. They are handing the mic over and saying, speak, speak your mind. Let us know what you're thinking. Let's go forward about 20 minutes and see what else they're saying. Another one would be the 100 billion that some people do not believe we'll see. You know, so this is really a big issue of trust. So my frustration is, how do we still believe that the people we didn't trust in Glasgow, the commitment have not been met? What make us believe that they will meet them right now? This is really becoming very frustrating, and I agree with the idea of really thinking about other alternatives. I think this is an important conversation because there are many people who are flocking to Africa right now and investing in Africa and trying to make money off of Africa. And they know nothing about what's, what is being discussed. They haven't actually spoken to the people. Now. They're just there to make money. No sense of governance, no sense of leadership. It's just a quick payday once again. Because for a lot of people, it's all about the money. And what I love about these conversations is let's get down to humanity. Let's continue. At the level where we can get the perspective of local government, and that's when we get to the real problems. All right. Over to you. Okay. Natasha, we've not heard from you for a while. Do you want to respond to some of the comments we've heard <laughs> from the floor? Absolutely. I think just two comments. One is um, we've talked about uh, being less technical, but I want to also challenge us and say that we should also begin listening more. There's an assumption, and especially because climate change is a very elitist conversation. So the people in the room have gone to Harvard, Oxford, they have an accent, they're sipping tea at a particular restaurant. But the local person who is more affected by the, by the effect of climate change is often left out of the conversation. And we assume that they don't understand the challenges that they're facing. So guys, why don't we first listen? Take note of what they're saying because there's agency in that. We are acknowledging that they know they have solutions to their problems. But two, and most importantly, is what stories are we telling? And Emilia said this, and I think it's important for us, and I want to repeat this, that narrative matters. When you begin to say something over and over again, people begin to believe it. When you begin to tell Africans that they are the problem, they begin to believe it and they begin to feel that they are victims. But we are not. We are able to take control of our future. And we, begin, we need to begin telling stories of people in their communities, in local contexts who are doing that. There's an importance in storytelling. But most importantly, I want to go into local governments. And more often than not, even though there is decentralization, the challenge of local governments is that even though they are elected, oftentimes they are implementing what national governments are implementing. So I want to challenge us a bit, especially in the local context, to think of climate change responsive governance. And a lot of governments are thinking about gender responsive government and governance. Why don't we begin thinking around climate change responsive governance and ensuring that we are implementing policies at a local level that have local context and nuances that understand in particular regions. I am Kenyan and northern Kenya has different challenges from Nairobi. I cannot presume and assume that I understand what northern kenya is facing sure. because the drought okay. that they're facing now 
is one they've never faced before. Okay. So localize and contextualize the challenges that each country is facing. Okay. I love this episode because it's, it, it's not about me. I'm showing you what's freely available to you from a mind of a billionaire. Here's some of the things I hope this episode does. I hope it inspires you to do something with your money of value. Because I know this audience is for high net worth individuals. This is for the super rich, the billionaires. I know y'all are all listening. Because this is the type of frequency this is. What you doing with your money? I'm not saying it has to be about corporate governance or governance of Africa. I'm not saying I'm not saying it has to be about climate change. I'm not saying I'm just saying what are you doing? What purpose does your money serve? What are you doing with your money? Is it all about you? Is you having money all about you? Or are you making it a better world? I'm just asking. And I think if you're really tapped into this frequency, you would be asking the same questions. Let's look at this uh, leadership prize. This whole episode is about the Mo Ibram Foundation. It's not even really about Mo Ibram, although he founded it. It's about the foundation. The Ibram Prize for Achievement in African Leadership. The Ibram Prize celebrates excellence in African leadership. It is awarded to a former executive head of state or government by an independent prize committee composed of eminent figures. The award, $5 million over 10 years. Nelson Mandela, Joachim Chichano, Thistus Moig, Pedro Rodriguez Pires, Prize criteria, former African executive, head of state, or government, left office in the last three years, democratically elected, served his or her constitutionally mandated term, demonstrated exceptional leadership. So this is for those who actually have done the right things. The Mo Ibram Foundation is giving you the full game here. And when you put when you click news, they tell you what's currently happening. 2002, Ibram Leadership Fellows announced from Guinea, Bissau, Kenya, and Uganda. Let's look at who, who got the uh, foundation. I mean, the uh, fellows. Joe Lebron, Elsa Kasa, Tab- Tabitha Nomlinda from Uganda. Congratulations to them. This is how you give back. This is how you take your wealth and spread it out. This is how you lay down a foundation. No pun intended. What do I hope this inspires us to do? I hope this inspires us to look past the money. I think for a lot of people, they want to learn how to acquire so they can make a lot of money. What happens after the money? After you get the money, then what? And a lot of people don't want to have that conversation. And because they don't want to have that conversation, they don't let me in a lot of these rooms. They just want to make the money and say they're living the best life ever. And I'm here to raise my hand and say, well, now that you have the money, what are you going to do with it? And what I've realized on my journey is I have to start asking that question earlier. Before I help people, what are you going to do with the money? Because that might help me determine if I really want to take time and energy and helping you get the money. I can help you get the money. But why are we doing it? Mo Ibram has helped out a lot of people. Look at some of his partners. The African Development Bank, the Africa Europe Foundation, the African Leadership Institute, the Afrobarometer we talked about earlier, African Peer Review, 
the Blav, Blavinik School of Government, and so on. I mean, he has over 20 partners. World Justice Project. <clears throat> All of these people come together for the governance of Africa to serve their continent. And I'm sure it also makes them subject matter experts. It also raises the profile. It also puts them in the right frequency. I'm sure it's not all just, you know, to serve, but there are rewards for doing the right thing. Let me see something. Because since they don't really raise money, how do they fund all this? The Mo Ibram Foundation. I want to look at that before we head out. How funding works. It might be on the website. But they say they don't raise capital. It's a non-grant making, non-fundraising organization. So I might be quiet for a second here because I'm reading. I'm just wondering who, how do they grant making programs? I thought they don't have any grant making. Grants are made by the foundation with the approval of the board. Is this the same foundation? Uh, I don't know if this is real. They just said they're a non-grant making place. Be careful out here. I'm not saying it's not real. I just don't know that it is. They just said they don't do grant making. And here's the place talking about grant making. This or this might be a whole different. Oh, you know what? The other one is the Mo Ibram. This is just the Ibram Foundation. Okay. So that might be why. The Ibram Foundation is a UK registered charity, Scottish recognized charity. Okay. So that might be legitimate. The other one is the Mo Ibram Foundation. I'm just curious if they have the leadership fellowship, they have the leadership award for five million over five years or whatever it was. And then they're paying their fellows a hundred thousand. I'm just curious of where that comes from. If they don't raise the capital, they don't, they don't do any type of fundraising. The Mo Human Foundation was established in 2006. They have 11 to 50 employees. Oh, what's this? Details, nonprofit, active. So they have less than 10 million in revenue. But where does that revenue come from? Do they charge to go to their events? I mean, they have to be getting their funds from somewhere unless Mo is just pulling out of his pockets. I mean, we looked at the foundations in the past where they foundations themselves invest in things. You know, he said something earlier about there being a fund. Let me see about that. There was a fund that he mentioned, Mo Ibram Fund. The foundation, which is a non-grant making. This is for my own curiosity, y'all. I'm just curious if this is mentioned. That's something I really would like to know. Is how are they, how are they funding the awards and everything like that? If they're not doing any grant making, they're not doing any type of fundraising. Where does that come from? You know, we talked about on uh, the LeBron James episode about how a foundation could be used to really uh, manage wealth, really, right? And also create wealth uh, as well, at least in the United States. I'm not sure how it works in uh, Great Britain or uh, Africa, but I, I, I am curious about that. My suspicion is that there's a, a fund that invests in certain things. I think he talked about that earlier about well, what are you investing in? He talked about energy. I wonder, is that him investing or is that the fund or the foundation investing? Remember that? 
right here, he was talking about, well, where, where are you investing? Let's see if he continues to talk about it. ...have been to create a prize for achievement uh, on the part of African leaders, a, a very valuable uh, initiative. What results can you take home from that now? Uh, is that five years have gone by since you created yes, it? Yes, it's about five years since we started that. We had so far three winners. And we had one honorary winner, Nelson Mandela, he doesn't qualify because he left government a long time ago, but he's the father of African good governance. So we had three winners in five years. Two years we did, we withheld the prize. The whole objective of the prize is to really focus the discussion around the issue of governance and good leadership. That's what we need in Africa, to improve the status of governance. And also we need... Uh, leaders who are able to make the right and tough decisions. We had our fair share of bad leaderships, which really destroyed and wasted many years in in in, uh, in Africa. But enough is enough. It's time now, really, to to to, to recall what has been lost so far. We hear a lot about uh, investments in land uh, for production of food, India particularly, but also Arab countries, Saudi Arabia. Uh, sometimes these uh, investments seem to be uh, detrimental to the interests of the local population. You're absolutely right. We have to be very careful. African agriculture needs really development. And I think agriculture is the future of Africa because we cannot produce better trains or better air buses than you guys. So we'll, we're not going to sell that to you. But we can produce better and cheaper tomatoes and cucumbers and tea and coffee, of course. And we can produce, produce it much cheaper especially if you forgo the cap policies here and whatever you do to distort the market. Uh, that's the future. Our productivity is extremely low. There is a huge room for improvement. There is a huge amount of arable lands to be developed. So we really need to develop the right agricultural policies and we need the right, right models. But we have to be careful here about the land grab. I want to look at something real quick. Uh, we were talking about this report. Remember this report a couple uh, episodes ago? We've been using it ever since, the billionaire census, right? Well, on this report, what does it say about Africa? Right? That's what I want to look at. Where is Africa in all of this? Where are the billionaires when it comes to Africa? Why does that matter? How does that relate? Because I believe the Mo Ibram Foundation is a really great source and a really great connector to understanding how to invest in Africa. Not the only source, just a source, right? And then over here, we have a, a report that talks about where all the billionaires are, where they reside, and what they're doing. Well, what's going on in Africa, if you care, right? I mean, if we're going to talk about Black billionaires, right? And for many black people around the world, they all believe that Africa is a motherland. And, you know, people have their debates about it. But let's just go with the premise that it is, right? It's a motherland. Well, if it's a motherland, what's going on in Africa when it comes to wealth? I don't see anything. I also got countries. I see cities, countries. Here we go. U.S., China, Germany, India, U.K., Hong Kong, Switzerland, Russia, Saudi Arabia, France, Italy, Canada, Brazil, Singapore, United Emirates. No Africa. Did anybody notice that? Here we go. Annual change of billionaires. Africa, Europe is one, North America, Pacific, and Africa had a 4.5% increase in billionaires. So they, they, they're not too far off, but there's none of their countries or cities are ranked, as far as I can tell. Here we go. Africa, $104 billion. And they make up 0.9% of the, the billionaire wealth. They make up 1.4% of the billionaire population. Compared to North America, is 31%. I think that number is going to have to increase. Now, here's the thing. If you're in the United States and you invest in Africa and become a, a billionaire or whatever, I mean, you'll still be considered North American. W what if your mission was to increase that number 
and create more billionaires in Africa. More billionaires of high character in Africa who can really make some significant changes. Because right now, the map is upside down. Look at this. Everyone on the top of this map, which many would argue is really the bottom, that's where all the wealth is. And at the bottom of the map, that's not where the wealth is. It's time to flip it. And you have people from North America that are going into Africa, making their money and running back out, not caring anything about the people. You know how I know they don't care about the people? They didn't care about the people in America. They use and abuse people in America to make their money there, and now they're going to run to Africa and do it. And then they're going to tell you that they're living their best life. There's opportunity here, not just to get wealthy and get rich. You know, this game is not about how many followers you have and how much money you made. How many other billionaires can you make around you? Not even billionaires. How many other wealthy people can you make around you? Remember at the beginning of the report, they talked about, let's see if they have it here, about the different levels of wealth. See if they talk about it here. They're talking about being ultra wealthy. Let's see. Did I go past it already? I want to go through that one more time. I think that was in the beginning where they're talking about the terms that they're going to use. And what does it all mean? Let's see if it's here. It was talking about being ultra wealthy. Oh, here it is. Key definitions. Ultra high net worth individuals. Those with a net worth of $30 million or more. Very high net worth is $5 million to $30 million. I thought there was one more. Does it not carry over? Yeah, so there's also the one million to five million range too. Oh, okay, so that would be high net worth. So high net worth is one to five. And then there are the very high net worth is five to thirty, and the ultra is thirty million or more. And I'm saying, well, why can't you have a mission to create, if you're going to be whoever you're going to be in the United States or UK, and we have listeners everywhere, right? Why can't your mission, if you're going to invest in Africa, to also be, well, I want to make 100 very high net worth individuals around me? Because they say in the middle of millionaires, there's always a billionaire. So if that's going to be you, if you're going to be that person who changes the game, then make sure the people around you are also on that same mission with you as well. And do it ethically. Do it with morals. Here it is. Ultra high net worth, excluding billionaires, is the dark blue. Oh, wow. And then the green is the billionaire wealth. Okay. Okay, I see. You have access now to information, just at least one place, to invest in Africa. Do with that as you may. And why is that important? Because this report is not going to tell you about Africa because it's not one of the top places yet, which means there's an opportunity. If it's not one of the top places to invest in, then you're going to have to find that information somewhere else. And why not start with the Mo Ibram Foundation? Why not start with where there's good governance? Why not start where there's a good foundation? These are just ideas for you to consider. Uh, Foreign countries uh, come to Africa and uh, through some dubious and many times secret deals, non-transparent deals, which is not published, they grab millions of acres, and then they start kicking the business out to produce food security. Food security for whom? Food security for, for India, food security. Uh, what about our own people, our own 
Food security is our priority, not food security of other people. We need to produce the food which give us security and hopefully give security to other people as well because that's not, that is a global uh, marketplace. But that's also an issue of governance, in fact. Absolutely, absolutely. And we need definitely more transparency about this deal. There is over 120 deals which nobody knows anything about them. The governments keep it secret. The investing companies and countries try to keep it secret. Whenever people try to keep something secret, we say, hi, there's some hanky-banky boys there. We better have another 